This morning, we are concluding the Faith Alive series from Paul's first letter to the believers at Thessalonica. And throughout this series, our focus has been, what does Faith Alive look like? What does it look like as we, as followers of Jesus, are fleshing out our faith, as we're walking out our faith? Because more than just making a profession of faith, we are called to walk out our faith. In other words, every day we're, we're living this out. And I think the book of 1 Thessalonians really helps us understand how do we live a vibrant faith in the midst of a culture that's really against God or anti-God, opposed to God? What does it look like for us really to flesh out being a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, as we come to this last section in 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul's giving some final instructions, like some last-minute reminders There's a number of things that he wants the early believers to be aware of as they're living out this newfound relationship with Jesus. And as I was looking at this, I thought, you know, this is much like the conversation that you have with your uh, student who's going off to college for the first time. How many of you have had that experience? They're leaving home, you know, they've been under your care, they've been under your covering, uh, under your protection, and all of a sudden you're getting ready to send them out. And there's all of these kind of last minute reminders that, you know, you just want to encourage them to, right? I mean, you say things like, don't forget to study, right? Keep your car locked. Be aware of your surroundings. Choose your friends wisely. Uh, And oh, by the way, don't forget to study, right? That's why we're sending you there and we're paying this bill is like you you want to apply yourself. But you tell your... your, uh, now going uh, to be adult child, all of these things, not because you want to restrict them, but you really want to set them up to thrive, right? So you're giving them these last minute instructions as to like, how can they make the most of this season of life that's before them? And that's kind of what the Apostle Paul is doing here as he closes out this letter. There's a number of one-line statements about how a faith alive should be lived out. He speaks of choices we should make and actions we should take as we are following Jesus. Now, it's important to understand this morning that choosing to follow Jesus is a personal decision that every individual has to make. In other words, someone else can't choose Jesus for you. And we wish that was possible. How many of you have some folks that you would choose Jesus for, right? I have some, you probably have some. It's a personal decision, right? For every individual, they have to come to that place that they make the decision to receive Christ Christ as their Savior. But after you make the decision to follow Jesus, your faith then is lived out in community. You become a part of a family, what we call the family of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the the Apostle Paul uses an interesting analogy. He he talks about how the body is made up of a lot of different parts, yet there's there's one body. Matter of fact, let me read just one verse out of 1 Corinthians 12. Paul says, the body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, and so it is with Christ. Then he goes on to say, um, or speak about how the hand needs the foot, right? And the foot needs the hand. In other words, you, you, you can't separate the hand from the foot and the body work. Or you can't separate the ear from the eye and the body work. Like It's all a part of, of one body. But as all of the different parts of the body work together independently, then 
we understand we're able to function, right? All of these parts functioning together. So it is with the body of Christ of which we're a part of. Here's an important statement. We are not just called to believe, we're called to belong. Can you say that statement with me? We're called to belong, not just believe. Let's say that. We're called to belong, not just believe. Praise God for belief. That gets you to heaven. But before you get to heaven, we're living out our faith here on earth, right? And we're doing it in the midst of community. So we're not called just to believe. We're called to belong. Pastor Rick Warren says it well in his book, Purpose Driven Life. He says, the Bible knows nothing of solitary saints or spiritual hermits, isolated from other believers and deprived of fellowship. The Bible says that we are put together, joined together, built together, members together, heirs together, fitted together, and held together, and we will be caught up together. You're not your own anymore. So look around the room this morning. Go ahead. If you're in the balcony, look around the balcony. If you're on the main floor, look around the main floor. Let me tell you what you're looking at this morning. Not just people, but you're looking at your family. Turn to someone beside you this morning and say, I may not even know who you are, but you're my family. Go ahead and tell them. Right? That's what we have here today. We have the family of God gathered for an opportunity of worship. So an authentic faith... An authentic faith is lived out in community where we have a responsibility, get this, to love and care for one another. There's no such thing as, as solo Christianity. There's no such thing as, hey, I'm going to go do this thing on my own. I'm going to go follow Jesus on my own. Listen, that's not God's way and that's not God's plan. He's placed you specifically in a family. So a faith that works must be put to work and lived out daily in our community. That's why we think groups are so important here at Grace. We want you to find that place of getting connected. Listen, if Grace Covenant is large enough that you could come on a Sunday morning, sit by yourself, sneak off the campus and never speak to anyone and never be known. That's possible. And some of you are doing that and you shouldn't do it anymore, right? <laughs> you need to get connected. Because what? We live out our faith in community. This is what I know. I need you and you need me, right? Amen. We're connected to each other and we're better together. So I encourage you, as we're living out our faith in community, stop by, pick up some information this morning on groups. But as Paul is closing out this uh, chapter or closing out his book, he gives us these final words we find in Chapter 5, beginning with verse 12. If you have your scripture, you can follow along or you can just follow along on the screen this morning. It says, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, one, there's, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and everyone else. Notice verse 16, rejoice always, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Verse 19 says, then do not quench the spirit. How many of you get the feel for what Paul's writing here in that it's like all of these last um, 
thoughts that he has about, this is what it looks, to, looks like to live out of faith in community. This is what it looks like, the responsibilities we have as we're fleshing this out. Now, we're all a part of a biological family or a family uh, structure. Now, that family system or structure would look different for all of us, but, but we would all have what we would identify as an immediate family and an extended family, right? Are you with me? Nod your head if you're with me. So in my immediate family, there's four of us. In my extended family, there's a lot of us. Like I have a lot of cousins. Um, I have an, a large extended family, but there's four in our immediate family. And as we're doing life in our biological families, what we all understand is we have responsibilities. Would you agree with that? How many of you have responsibilities in your family? immediate family structure, right? Yeah, we all do. We have the privilege of communion, the privilege of family, but we also have then the responsibilities that come with that. For example, some of my responsibilities within our family structure is, is I pay the bills. I take out the trash, I do the yard work, and I pick up my own stuff. My wife doesn't pick up my dirty laundry. I pick up my own laundry, right? But those are some of my responsibilities within our family structure. So I have the privilege, get this, I have the privilege of being a part of a family, but with that privilege comes responsibilities. And we could take that same analogy and bring it into the body of Christ, but we have the privilege. I mean, look, again, look around the room. Look at your family this morning. Man, we are so blessed to be a part of family, brought into the family through the provision of Jesus Christ. But then that is lived out. The responsibility comes is, is like now, wow, I have a role to play within the family. I have a responsibility. So the church is the family of God. And just as there are responsibilities for a biological family, so there's responsibilities in God's family. Responsibilities that we're called to embrace and live out. And Paul identifies some of those here in his final instructions. And, and I've actually broken this last part down into two categories. First, there's family responsibilities as we live out our faith and community. So what does it look like in the family setting? And then there's what I would call personal responsibilities as we're living out our faith and community. So first, let's talk about Let's talk about our family responsibilities within this faith community. The first area that Paul addresses is supporting spiritual leadership. Leadership that God has ordained in position to lead in the body of Christ. If you look back to verse 12, the scripture directs us to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, who admonish you. Now, because this is the role that, that I fulfill, I really don't I really don't like talking about how you should honor and respect me. That makes me feel uncomfortable. I, um, however, I can tell you what happens when spiritual leadership is honored and respected. Like I've had the privilege of serving here now, this is crazy, 27 years. In 27 years, I've had the blessing of unbelievable support from the leadership of this congregation, from the elders and church council, it has been an absolute amazing journey. As I'm now in a season of reflecting on all that I've had the privilege of being a part of, one of the things that God's made me so aware of is the gift that I've had and the people that I've got to do life with. How many of you, that's a gift. People you get to share life with. 
And I can tell you that I have been honored and respected as the one that God has positioned in this time and season as spiritual leadership in this congregation. And because I've been honored and respected, let me tell you what's happened. There's been an amazing fruitfulness. It's like God's poured out his blessing on our church family. And I think a big part of that is there's an honoring of leadership. There's a respecting of leadership. I've never had to like have quarrels and internal fights with church leadership. Like they've worked with me, not against me. And the end result has been, get this, in my 27 years here, there've been thousands upon thousands of people who've come to know Jesus Christ as their savior. We've impacted our community with, with ministries like the Neighborhood Care Center, and we've been blessed and privileged to, to build churches in Belize and Nicaragua and the Ivory Coast. Man, great things have happened. Why? Because as a church family, there's been this respect and honoring. So I'm not up here today saying, hey, my name's Pastor Farrell, and you should respect me. But I am telling you this, that when there is respect and honor, it's there that God brings his blessing. It's there that God brings effective ministry. You know, so in our, in, as we're talking about living out our faith and community, there is this concept of like, we, we support, we support the, those that God ordained as the leaders of our family. Here's a second family responsibility that we have. We're to work for unity as we live in peace. Look at the last line of verse 13. The scripture says, live in peace with one another. You know, it's been said to live with saints above, oh, that'll truly be glory, but to live with saints below, well, that's another story. <laughs> you know, at times, it can be difficult to get along with one another to have peace. Have you noticed, have you noticed that some people are just difficult? <laughs> like, don't look to your left or right, just look straight ahead right now. Some people are just difficult. They can be demanding, they can be opinionated, they can be judgmental, but our charge as we're a part of family, as we're living out our faith, our charge and our challenge is to work for unity that produces peace. So we choose to give grace instead of judgment. We choose to value the person even if we have different positions on certain issues. We choose to agree to disagree over certain issues instead of becoming divisive. We choose to live out love instead of, of giving in to hate. And Romans 14, 19 says, therefore, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. You know, we cannot control others. We cannot control their actions. God bless you. But what we can do is we can control our response and we can be peacemakers. We can be those who, who, work, who work for peace. That's what it looks like living out our faith in family, in community. But as we work for peace, that, that doesn't mean that we avoid truth, that we avoid challenging others. You know, every once in a while, someone may need a loving kick, a loving kick in, in the seat of the pants, Right? They may need a loving rebuke. Notice what Paul wrote in the first part of verse 14. He says, we urge you to warn those who are idle and disruptive. If you recall in chapter four of the first Thessalonians, Paul had encouraged the believers to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands. Obviously, 
There was a challenge in the early church that Paul was addressing that could even be a challenge today. When people are idle and not active, they can become troublemakers, stirring dissension, creating, creating problems, feeding strife. And this becomes detrimental to the effectiveness of the church and its mission. So what we, we're, we're called to challenge them. We want to work for peace, but we, we challenge those who are idle and, and disruptive. You know, in my tenure here at Grace Covenant, as you can imagine, over 27 years, I've had, to have, I've had to have a few difficult conversations where I've had to challenge someone's disruptiveness, where I've had to challenge someone's idleness, where I had to challenge someone who was just stirring trouble. That you probably, you might even be amazed to think, well, that would happen at Grace Covenant, but it does. And in some of those conversations, they've been redemptive, praise the Lord. In some of those conversations, individuals have chosen to go and cause problems at other churches because they didn't want to respond to a loving rebuke. But at times, we have to have the difficult conversation. Paul says, challenge those who are idle, who are disruptive, who are, who are deterring you from the mission, the mission of the church. Listen, friends, God places us in a church family to make a contribution, not cause a problem. Can I get an amen on that? Can I get a double amen from my friend, Pastor Zach? He's placed you here not to cause a problem, but to make a contribution. God gives us abilities and talents to use for his glory and the good of others. So don't be idle or disruptive. What we want to do and should do is find our place and be a productive part of what God's doing. But every once in a while, there needs to be the difficult conversations. But beyond challenging those who are idle and disruptive, we should help those who are disheartened and struggling in their faith walk. Notice the last part of verse 14. Paul encourages us, notice, to encourage the timid and help the weak. Can we all agree today that sometimes life gets hard? Sometimes life gets over. Now, we're not talking about whether you love Jesus or not or whether you're faithful to Jesus or not or whether you're mature in your faith or not. I don't even know. Sometimes life just gets overwhelming. You love Jesus with all your heart, but there's times where it feels like the world's caving in. And this is what I know. People who love Jesus can get disheartened. People who love Jesus can lose perspective. People who love Jesus can come to the place that their fuel tank, if I can say it like that, their faith fuel tank is running low. You know, several weeks ago, I had someone in my office who was just in that place. I would identify them as a mature follower of Jesus, mature in their faith life. But um, the weeks leading up to our meeting had been really challenging. There was issue after issue. There was challenge after challenge. There was heartbreak after heartbreak. So they came to my office and I listened to their story and I cried with them a bit. And I'm not a counselor, I'm not a therapist. You don't wanna come see me for counseling. I'm a horrible counselor. But in that moment, the Holy Spirit inspired me to help them with perspective. Holy Spirit inspired me with a couple verses of scripture that brought hope for them in the midst of their situation. What, what, what was happening? They were disheartened. Like doing life in a fallen world can drain us. And every once in a while, there's people around us who, who are disheartened. 
What do we want to do? We want to, we want to rally around them. We want to encourage them. Again, listen, you don't have to be a counselor or therapist. I'm not a counselor or therapist, but this is what I can do. I can encourage those who are disheartened, and you can as well. So in this family of believers, this is your family. It's my family. We want to, we want to help those who are disheartened and struggling in their faith. And then Paul closes out, but but within verse 14, by challenging us to be patient with everyone, to be patient as we're all in process. You probably know this reality, but none of us are perfect yet. There'll come a day when we're with Jesus and we'll be in a place without the presence of sin, we'll be made perfect. But until that day, this is, this is the reality, we're all in process. Matter of fact, t- turn to your neighbor and say, say to them, I'm in process, be patient with me. Go ahead. Especially if you're sitting by your mate this morning, tell them, I'm in process, be patient with me. You know, sometimes I think we forget that we're all in process and we create expectations and we create this idea of how people should perform and we forget that Man, we're just messed up people trying to follow Jesus, right? Isn't that true? And we're, we're all in process. And if we truly understand that, then we can be quicker to give grace instead of judgment. We can be quicker to come alongside someone with understanding rather than blasting them with our words. So be patient as we're all in process. And this leads to the final directive that Paul gives for us as to our family responsibilities as we're living out our faith in community. He ends with this, be kind to one another as differences are resolved. Notice verse 15. Paul says, make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. So as followers of Jesus, it should not be our ambition to get even with others when they wrong us or take advantage of us or hurt us. We're called to to get ahead, not by getting even, but to get ahead by being kind and gracious. Rather than retaliating, we want to respond with kindness. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gives us the the way of the world, which is basically it's an eye for an eye. Like if you take my eye, I'm going to take your eye. You, know, you punch me, I'm going to punch you. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you, right? That's the way of the world. It's the payback system. But Jesus then calls us to a different standard or a different way of living. And basically he says, don't get even, get ahead, right? He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. Persecute you, be kind to others. You know what? I've been doing life in God's family my my whole life, actually 57 years. And this is what I've discovered. Because we're sharing life with people in process, difference happens, injury happens, wrong happens. And when it does, we want to be those who respond with kindness. We want to be those who, who work toward reconciliation. That's what Paul's directing us to here. You know, doing life in our biological family takes work. Would you agree with that? Being married to Charlotte takes work. I don't know if she's here this morning, but it's true. And for Charlotte to be married for me takes more work. 
And if you're married, you understand. Listen, you don't get married and it like just happens, right? It takes work. It takes investment. It requires something of you. Doing life in biological family takes work. Doing life in God's family takes work. It requires intentionality. It requires action. It, it requires you taking that of what you believe, what you profess, and putting it and putting it to work. Well, as we get to verse 16, really quick, Paul transitions his directives from family responsibilities to personal responsibilities. Responsibilities that each of us have as we're living out our faith in community. These are choices we need to make on a daily basis as we're, as we're living out of faith alive. And, and there's four. Let me just quickly give these to you. It doesn't take much commentary because they all just kind of make sense. The first is this. We're to choose an attitude of joy. Can, can we say that together this morning? Choose an attitude of joy. Now let's make it a little more personal. Let's say I am going to choose an attitude of joy. Can we say that? I am going to choose an attitude of joy. Notice verse 16, Paul wrote these words, be joyful always. Or we might say it like this, be full of joy always. As you know, you don't get to control the circumstances of life, right? I don't get to control the circumstances of life. Life happens. Then we get to figure out how we're going to process life as it happens. In the midst of that, Paul tells us here that we should be joyful. We should choose this attitude of joy. And this is what I've discovered in my own life. When I choose an attitude of joy, I just seem like to discover more life in life. When I choose an attitude of joy, I see more positive than I see negative. When I choose an attitude of joy... It just seems to open the way for God to work. When I'm in a place of complaining and whining, it doesn't seem to open the way for God to work. But when I choose to respond with joy, whatever I'm walking through, it just seems to open the way for God to work. So as, as you're living a faith alive, choose every day to process life with an attitude of joy. Not only do we want to Choose an attitude of joy, but we want to live connected to God. Live connected. In other words, we want our faith life to be more than Sunday alone. Right? That we're living out 24-7, like seven, seven days a week. But we're living our lives connected to God. Notice what Paul wrote in verse 17. He says, pray continually. When we hear the directive to pray continually, we might think, like, well, how can I do that? Like, I got a job, right? Tomorrow morning, you got to get up and go to work. Or you have all of these responsibilities. Like, how can I, like, pray continually? Like, I, I can't just spend my days sitting and praying. Like, there's work to be done. And the concept here of praying continually does not mean that we're constantly offering, like, formal prayers. Rather, it means this. Throughout the day, we're living our lives connected to God. Throughout the day, we're drawing resource from God. Let me tell you how this works for me personally. Every morning, I start my day with God. Did it this morning. I was up early and spent some time in, in prayer and worship and the word. Went for a run. Then got ready and came to church. 
But I started my day connecting to God. And one of the things I do every day, just a common prayer I pray, is God, I commit my day to you. Guide me in my day. Help me to be a life giver, a lid lifter, and a bucket filler. Help me to add value to others. I pray that every day. I commit my day to the Lord. But then as I process through my day, throughout the day, man, I'm connecting back to God. God, give me insight on this. I don't know what to do. God, I need help here. God, help me respond rightly because I, I want to blow my horn at that person in front of me. <laughs> throughout the day, throughout the day, I'm, I'm connecting to God. Well, he's my source. He's my help. As I come to the end of my day, pretty much every day, as I lay my head down, I don't spend a lot of time, but I say, God, thank you for just being with me throughout the day. I commit my sleep to you. Now, that's living connected. So when Paul says pray continually, he's, he's just saying, hey, don't leave God at home, right? Don't just leave God at church. I don't know about you, but I need God on Monday just as much as I need him on Sunday. How about you? I need God in this facility and I need God in my workplace. You do too. Live connected. Personal responsibility. Listen, I can't connect for you. Your parents can't connect for you. Your mate can't connect for you. Well, it's your personal responsibility. Say, hey, I'm going to live my life connected to God. Here's a question for you. Why would you not? If you haven't figured this out yet, you're so limited in your life. Man, in your humanity, you have some talents, you have some... I, I get that but you don't have near what it takes to be the husband or wife that you need to be, to be the parent that you need to be, to be the employee you need to be, to be the owner of the company you need to be. This is what I know today. You need help. I need help. How we're going to live our lives. We're going to live our lives connected to God. Then Paul goes on to challenge us in verse 18 to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. Notice verse 18 says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Notice he doesn't say give thanks in some circumstances. If you have your own Bible, you might want to just underline that word all. How many of you know like all covers like all, right? All covers everything. All covers every area. Now, we're to give thanks in all circumstances of our lives. You know, it's easy to give thanks when things are going well, right? That's really not a challenge. But to give thanks in all circumstances, even when things are not going the way you wanted it to, that cultivate that, that attitude of gratitude. And as you, as you cultivate that attitude of gratitude, can I tell you what's going to happen your surroundings are going to change. You're going to change. You're opening the way for God to work in your life. You're living out gratitude and thanksgiving. And Paul says, hey, here's another personal responsibility. As you're living out your faith life, be grateful. Be thankful. 
Be thankful to God. Be grateful. Be grateful to others that you're doing life with. And here's the final reminder that Paul gives us as we're living out our faith in community is that we should embrace the work of the Holy Spirit. Notice in verse 19, Paul wrote these words. Do not put out the Spirit's fire or don't quench the Spirit. So what we want to fan the flame of the Spirit, not extinguish the flame of the Spirit. Now, I could spend a lot of time on this one point, and I can't this morning. But let me just say this really quick. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, and he's the one who resides in you. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, there was this interesting spiritual dynamic that happened and that the Holy Spirit came to dwell in you. Matter of fact, the scripture says it like this. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So if you can think of it like this, if you would self-identify as a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have a 24-7 coach. How do you feel about that? A 24-7 coach. You have someone with you to help you. Now, there's a lot of different ways the Holy Spirit does that. Let me just mention a few. The Holy Spirit guides us into truth, helping us navigate life. The Holy Spirit empowers us, helping us to live naturally supernatural. The Holy Spirit brings supernatural gifts, according to 1 Corinthians 12, that helps us help others. The Holy Spirit gives us courage and boldness to represent Jesus to a broken world. These are just a few ways that the Holy Spirit helps us live our faith alive. This is what I'm confident of today. We need, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. So don't put out the Spirit's fire. Embrace it. Fuel it. Live every day dependent on the Holy Spirit. Live every day praying this prayer. Holy Spirit, Fill me, empower me, help me. What that, that's fueling the work of the Holy Spirit. And what we've discovered in our journey through the book of 1 Thessalonians is that an authentic faith must change who we are and how we live. If it's not changing who you are and how you live, then you need to, you need to check your faith life. Because an authentic faith bringing about transformation in our lives. We're no longer living our lives to please ourselves. We're living our lives to please God. Now, every day, every day we have on this earth is a day that we get to honor God with our lives. Every day we have on this earth is a day that we get to enjoy the blessings of doing life with God, of living in his goodness and his grace. So what we want to do is we want to find ourselves living for God and nothing else. Hey God, my ambition, my desire, my goal is to honor you. Listen, we don't always get it right. But we stumble, we fall, we mess up. But say, God, my ambition is I want you, nothing else. I want to honor you in my life. I want to make way for you to work in my life in a greater way. You're the one that I desire. You're the one that I seek. And it's that that opens the way 
for God to work through your life in ways that'll be absolutely amazing as we're living a faith alive.